The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, welcome to the Buddha, Buddha Loka uh, Buddha Centre in East Malvern, in Victoria, for the Monday night guided meditation. And this is Ajahn Nisarano. Um, uh, just to introduce myself, I'm an Australian monk who ordained with Ajahn Brahm in Western Australia about 23, a bit over 23 years ago. And now, and have spent 14 years in Sri Lanka, and as I often mention, eight years of those in a cave. And now I am based at Newbury Buddhist Monastery, which is about 90 kilometres from uh, Melbourne. So this evening, I was, as usual, we have an introduction to the meditation, and uh, then a guided meditation, then comments, questions, and complaints. So it's the usual format. So, and I always like a theme for the meditation. So, this evening, the theme was going to be in the inner smile, and I haven't uh, uh, done that. Haven't uh, had a guided meditation with the inner smile for quite a while, and it's an important uh, principle of uh, Dhamma that these thi- there are things that trigger responses from us positively or negatively. <laughs> And I know Ayakima often talked about triggers, but more in the sense of negative, negative sense. And you do hear people talking about their buttons being pressed, and that's very much like your triggers being, uh, being pressed or excited. And of course, the things that are the triggers, the things that are happening outside of us, and uh, they're just sights, sounds, smells, tastes, and touches. But some of these sights, sounds, tastes and touches can really excite us, can really upset us, can really make us angry. Somebody can say something to us, or we can read something, or we can watch something on the internet, in the news, and become uh, very uh, angry or upset, uh, depressed, anxious, any of these negative emotions. So these triggers are coming from outside of us. But the response, of course, is within us. Response is within us. And uh, Ayakema, she used to, uh, Ayakema was a a Buddhist nun who ordained in Sri Lanka, a German Buddhist nun, and um, was a teacher here for many years until she passed away in 1997 in Germany. And she used to say, don't blame the triggers, <laughs> the triggers outside. It's easy to say, isn't it? <laughs> Don't blame the triggers. Um, but of course, it's, it's quite true that things out there, they are triggers, but in actual fact, we don't, they don't necessarily have to make us respond in a negative sense. And particularly if we realize these negative emotions are nothing, doing nothing for us and certainly not bringing happiness to us and peace and all the things that we're looking for. Often, though, with these triggers that bring up negative reactions, we can feel totally justified. And sometimes it's terrible what people say to us or, you know, things we may read uh, in the uh, newspaper or on the internet, things we may see. 
and we can become really upset. We may be justified, but nevertheless, we are the ones experiencing these negative states of mind, which are of no benefit to us and don't change the situation one iota. So this is an, an actual fact. Some of those negative reactions, don't they? They could make us say and do things uh, that we regret. So when we respond, you know, when somebody, for instance, says or does something that uh, uh, hurts us, that's obviously their bad karma. But when we react, either mentally or through speech or action, that's our responsibility. That's our bad karma. And so the, the point is to actually uh, deal with these, uh, don't allow these, neg- uh, these triggers to bring up these uh, negative responses. And that's easily said, easier said than done, of course. But to realize that there are two aspects to it, the external and the internal, very important. Otherwise, we would always, we will be like, uh, uh, we'll be manipulated by all these external triggers outside of ourselves. And the, the way we deal with that is by blaming. Often that's a very, very common uh, occurrence when there is suffering, unsatisfactoriness, People will blame, blame the government, blame the weather, blame anybody. But, but uh, so it doesn't change anything. But it's also good to reflect, isn't it, that there are positive triggers. And this is what I'm talking about this evening, the positive triggers. And, uh, we, and they come from the outside too, from sight, smells, tastes and touches. And they can bring up positive mental states. And these are useful things to develop, useful things to um, uh, use as triggers for these good states of mind. And you can see this. It's very obvious, really, you know, when, we, when we're in a park or when we're in nature, when we're by the sea, by the river, or seeing a uh, panoramic view, you know, we're on a hill or somewhere very high, we, we experience, often experience, you know, calm, peace, uh, positive emotions. And you see this with the music sometimes. It can be very calming or it can be very uplifting. You can see how it affects the emotion. These are just triggers. <laughs> These are triggers, but some of them are useful. And you can even see it in bodily sense too, you know, when the body is warm, as long as it's not too hot, we feel relaxed, at ease, you know, and this brings up these states of mind. So it is uh, really skillful if we can find things that trigger positive responses and are able to use them with the meditation So this evening, I was going to focus on, as I said, the inner smile. And this is really using the sense of sight um, as a trigger for developing this inner smile. And uh, as I mentioned, as uh, as many people will notice, even with this Buddha statue here, that Buddha statues, for instance, are very attractive uh, for many people, and even for non-Buddhists, 
And uh, I used to go for walks around uh, the area, not so much these days, because I'm living in Newbury. <laughs> and I would see Buddha statues in people's gardens, and I'm sure they weren't Buddhists. I'm sure they weren't Buddhists. But you could ask why that was the case. And obviously people find that... Uh, the appearance of the, the Buddha very pleasing. It's very peaceful, calm, and you see them sometimes under trees and, and this sort of thing, just like the Buddha when he was uh, striving for enlightenment, awakening. And the thing is, when we see these Buddha statues, at least I find this, it touches us, you know, it brings up similar states of mind, of calm, of, of peace, maybe a sense of acceptance or flowing with the way things are at the moment. And one of the uh, very uh, lovely qualities of a Buddha statue, a very nice Buddha statue, will be a gentle, warm smile, this inner smile. And you can see it. And I, this can really you know, bring up a sense of joy, of happiness, of satisfaction, contentment even. And also a sense of, you know, when you see a Buddha statue, there can be a sense of steadiness, of stillness, of uh, safety and security. Because there's a lot of associations with a Buddha statue, especially for Buddhists. And obviously, even for non-Buddhists. And I know one of my favorite uh, Buddha statues, I saw it in many, many years ago in Paris at the... I think it's called the Guimei Museum, Guimei Museum. And it was a Cambodian Buddha statue, Khmer, I think, um, I'm not sure, I think about the 10th century, uh, um, you know, current era. And it just had this, it has this incredible smile which seems to come from within. It's a really, really beautiful and really, I have a photo of it. I had a photo of it, but I think it's in Sri Lanka. I was trying to think, where is that photo? Because when I see that, that brings up that sort of happiness, that smile. And if you find something like that, like a Buddha statue like that, it can be quite sort of haunting. It actually bring it, you can remember it, and it comes comes back to you when you when you picture that smile. But uh, there are other ways of bringing up this sense of the inner smile. And I was just going to mention that. And this is very something we all experience from time to time, that we see people, we meet people, friends, maybe even strangers, <laughs> and they smile. And that smile can really touch us. You know, sometimes uh, you can say it's a very genuine smile, or we feel it's a very genuine smile. And this, this sort of is, can be like, is, uh, at times, can be like a real gift from that person and actually lift our, our spirits and like sunshine coming into our minds. So that can be another way of bringing up this feeling of the inner smile. And uh, another way is from photos of uh, heartwarming smiles. It's going to be a very good way to bring up the, uh, the sense of warmth and happiness uh, and contentment. And I know, I, I find uh, some of Ajahn Brahm's photos, he takes a very good photo. <laughs> it's very hard to get a bad photo of Ajahn Brahm. I'm sure there are some, but very few, actually. 
And uh, I know the, I don't know if you have seen the coronavirus book that was uh, published last year. It's a book about Ajahn Brahm, stories about Ajahn Brahm. But they have the photo on uh, the cover is one of Ajahn Brahm. And it's a very nice smile. It's very touching. And it really, it's sort of like, uh, for me, like a match. It lights us up, lights me up anyway. Maybe other people <laughs> would respond the same way. And uh, the other way we can also bring up this sort of sense of inner smile, this inner warmth and uh, ease, peace, uh, contentment, is actually, and it sounds a bit strange, physically smiling, putting on a smile on the face. And somehow that does actually uh, encourage this sense of inner, inner happiness, inner warmth. It does affect the mind. And this is all, this bringing up these positive emotions is really a part of a developing um, right effort because this is the um, sixth factor of the Noble Eightfold Path. And this is to develop or maintain, develop and maintain positive states of uh, mind, emotions, uh, and to avoid or let go of negative states of mind. Sounds really easy, doesn't it? <laughs> but it, it's, uh, it's not so easy, but it's something that we can really develop by, by developing these positive states of mind, uh, maintaining them. Uh, we can, as it were, avoid and let go of the negative ones. It's a real shortcut. It's a shortcut. And also it's more enjoyable, more pleasant for us to live with uh, positive mental states and negative mental states. We don't get much out of it with negative mental states. The only thing sometimes we may feel we're right and the other person's wrong. That's about it. And that's not, that's not a very good... Uh, um, uh, it's not very rewarding. rewarding. And how do we um, develop and maintain these positive emotions? It's just really by repeating them, bringing them up. And in that way, they become a part. They really become a part of us, a part of our character. And it sort of becomes like a habit, our default. And this is a good default. Many people have negative defaults where they're really good at getting angry or they're very good at getting depressed or very good at getting anxious. And this is only because it's been the, uh, this experience has been repeated again and again. And then eventually we tend to own it and think we are that emotion, whatever it is, whether it be a positive one or a negative one like anxiety. So this is an important part of the Noble Eightfold Path um, when, we, uh, when we develop these positive emotions and, uh, and maintain them. And it brings up, as I said, all these positive uh, emotions that we can develop. And when we think, for instance, of a Buddha statue, it's, I often do this, actually. I bring to mind a Buddha statue that I like. And then it's not only those, the, these qualities of you know, uh, warmth, of the inner smile that can come up. We can actually use it like a recollection of the Buddha, some quality of the Buddha. You know, for instance, his uh, loving kindness, his metta or maitri. We can feel that. So it can be 
also another way of doing uh, a recollection of the Buddha, Buddha Nasati. Because the, uh, we have a chant in Sri Lanka which says, which says that the Buddha's qualities are anantaguna, so they're without end. The qualities of the Buddha, guna, are without end. So there can be any angle. <laughs> you can bring up any of these emotions. And it's very important because I know many people think of meditation as a very, uh, may think of it as a, a thinking type exercise. It's not at all. It's more of a feeling uh, experience. And this is why Ajahn Brahm calls it, a, he often says it's a feely, feely thing, meditation, not a thinky, thinky experience. And of course, anybody who has meditated knows how the thinking can really take over and uh, derail the meditation. Whereas these emotions don't necessarily create echoes in the mind. They just have this feeling that we can use with the meditation object. Because when we combine a positive, pleasant, um, enjoyable emotion a feeling with the meditation object, it makes it much easier to stay with it because it's actually beautifying. For instance, the breath. Because the breath, well, I've not, never heard anybody say it's exciting or <laughs> fascinating or interesting, but when we have this positive emotion and we bring it to the breath and infuse it, into the breath, as it were, it makes the breath much more attractive. We want to stay with it, uh, and we enjoy the meditation. It's not hard work then. It's like if we're with a friend, it's very easy to spend time with a friend because we enjoy being with them. But if it's somebody we don't get on with, if we, if we don't know them or we don't have much connection with them, then it's much more difficult to spend time with them, hang out with them. And also an, another aspect of the meditation that is uh, very useful is to, and I've used this quite a lot myself actually, is locate the breath. Not in, we're not forcing it to be in a particular location, but we just realize where we're most aware of the breath. You know, and that can be usually uh, either the nose, the throat, the chest, or the abdomen. It can be anywhere really. And it can change from meditation to meditation. And that can be a very useful anchor for the mind. We don't force the breath onto it. We don't hold it there. But we're aware of that being a, a point where we notice the breath. And so we can use these two together, this feeling, positive feeling of the inner smile and the location of the breath. And... I find when I use the location, when I've got that sense of a place, uh, and it's, it changes, as I said, from meditation to meditation, the mind is much steadier and less likely to wander off. Um, so it's, but it's not forcing the mind to be there. So, and also these positive emotions, one of the most uh, greatest benefits is that they counteract the five hindrances the Panchanivarana. And this is what the Buddha says is the, the only thing that stands between us and deep meditation and deep wisdom. These things block those, both of those things. And of course that's a, our, our desire for sensory experience. 
we are really <laughs> we're addicted to, attached to seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. Everything that we, uh, you know, whether it be sport, television, whether it be uh, conversations, music, whether it be um, exercise, uh, sport, whatever, using the body, all these things, you know, this is our world. This is the world we live in. But the meditation is taking us to another world. And this is the world, not of the five senses, but of the sixth sense, the mind. We're going into another world. So when we have these positive emotions, whether it be this inner smile, loving kindness, compassion, whatever, a positive emotion, it can overcome this hindrance of sensory desire. It can overcome the hindrance of ill will, this negativity that we, uh, rejection, pushing away that we have in the mind. And it can overcome drowsiness and dullness. When we have a positive experience, when there is something that's enjoyable, we don't usually nod off. <laughs> you notice that. If, some, if we're really engaged, we don't nod off. But, uh, and it gives us energy. We're interested. And this is what uh, takes the mind to samadhi, is uh, to oneness, is this enjoyable, this pleasant feeling of joy and happiness. And the fourth hindrance is uh, uh, restlessness and worry when the mind can't settle on anything. But when we have this positive emotion from, say, the inner smile, this contentment, warmth, ease, relaxation, then this is very calming for the mind. The breath is pretty calming, actually. And as is a Buddhist statue, for instance, for many people, it's very calming, very peaceful. And uh, so this reduces that hindrance. And then the hindrance of doubt, too, it reduces. Because we are just focused on something quite pleasant, quite enjoyable, and we're not wondering whether I'm doing well. We still could possibly wonder, am I doing it right? Is this the right meditation? You know, all these sorts of things. And I like to mention uh, too that uh, Ajahn Brahm's first meditation teacher his, in, his advice to Ajahn Brahm to, was to go every day to go to the mirror and to in the morning every day when he got up in the morning go to the mirror and smile at himself which sounds incredible doesn't it really <laughs> and he said if you can't smile at, you can't raise a smile then use your fingers to to, to uh, create an artificial smile. And, of course, he, d he said he did this for two years, which is quite amazing, and uh, that he thinks it's possibly why. He smiles quite a lot. He's got a very good smile, actually. And I, I've tried it, too, and I do. Th it really does work, especially if you use the two fingers. It's so ridiculous. You, you end up, you can't help uh, smiling. It's almost laughing, actually. It seems so ridiculous. But I, as I mention, often mention when I talk about this story, is I think, why would any meditation teacher say that to a student? And the only thing I can think of was, Ajahn Brahm was too serious. <laughs> Isn't that hard to believe? <laughs> hard to believe. But I know, uh, I certainly have some uh, proof of that, because I don't know if you've seen that video about... Uh, Wat Chat, where he, this is the monastery for foreign monks that Ajahn Chah established in northeast Thailand. 
and Ajahn Brahm was there for about eight or nine years. And uh, there's a video that was made in the late 70s, and he appears in it in a number of t- a number of times. Very serious, <laughs> unbelievably, actually. So, but also a deeper aspect to uh, why one brings up the smile and so on is that that we need, you know, for the meditation, this joy and happiness is actually an essential ingredient for meditation, for it to develop um, and go deeper. Sometimes people feel that their meditation is plateauing, it's not really going anywhere, they just feel like they're hanging out, but it's uh, you know, not, not developing. And usual, the usual advice in that case is to develop this joy and happiness, bring it up in some way or other. Use something, a trigger, to stimulate it. And uh, as I also, Ajahn Brahm commented, uh, talking about why he ordained in Thailand, he said, because the monks he met at the uh, Thai Buddhist temple, he went to a few of the different Buddhist temples, but he said the ones at the the Thai Buddhist temple, I think it's what, uh, Buddha Deepa, I think Buddha Deepa, in London, they smiled the most. <laughs> and that really, uh, and he mentioned in a recent talk, we listened to only last, last Friday actually, and he said it was their kindness that really touched him and encouraged him to ordain with them, rather than in the tradition with some of these very fierce monks that we hear about in Thailand sometimes, which he didn't feel attracted to a lot. And, of course, that made me reflect, too, that why did I ordain with Ajahn Brahm? (laughs) Because he smiles a lot. (laughs) And it's true, because when uh, it makes... I know I feel more relaxed when people are smiling and we feel a sense of connection. We feel feel a sense of trust. Uh, can be there and it also reduces that sense of worry or fear that can we can have so this is a very important aspect of the practice bringing up these positive states of mind and this inner smile is one way to do it actually it's where I, th- I find it very very useful it's a bit like um, a sun in the heart actually you can get a feeling for it once you develop it you get a sensitivity for it and then you can bring it up whenever you wish you can remember it as it were and go back to it like that smile on the Buddha statue I mentioned in Paris all those years ago I still remember it because such a wonderful smile also I have the photo in Sri Lanka So I think that's enough for the introduction, and I hope it encourages you to experiment with things that trigger positive emotions for you, and uh, in that way develop that, that trigger, as it were, develop that positive emotion, so that we can reduce the negative ones, not give them so much space, and uh, also feed the meditation with this joy and this happiness which we need for the meditation to really to develop. So now we can start the meditation. So first things first is to just to check your posture, see if you're comfortable where you're sitting, and to move the body if you, just to uh, relax the shoulders, the head, whatever, any stiffness. And we can close the eyes.
and have a sense of what, how we feel balanced. Head over the shoulders and the body over the legs, the hips. See how we can feel balanced. And so we can come into the present moment. We can leave the past and the future with our shoes at the door. And be free from the past and the future. Who we were or who we will be. We're just here. Enjoying being here. Happy to be here in the present moment. Having this opportunity to meditate together. Just experiencing whatever comes up in the present moment. Feeling of sitting on the cushion. Sounds of the air conditioner. Temperature. Feelings in the body. Whatever it is. A here and now. And we can relax the body mentally as well. Being at the top of the head, the back of the head and the side of the head. Soothing, relaxing. This warm, kind attention. Bring our attention down to the forehead and soothing the forehead. Bring the creases or wrinkles, whatever, <laughs> to relax. around the eyes, soothing them, allowing them to rest. And moving our attention down to the cheeks of the face, in this warm, relaxing, around the mouth and the chin, soothing them. And then moving to the neck, all around the neck, allowing the neck to relax, to be comfortable.
Now bringing to mind the right shoulder and moving our attention along the right shoulder. Slowly relaxing, allowing any tension to release. Bringing to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and slowly moving our attention down the right arm to include the elbow, the wrist, the hand and the fingers. Soothing them, relaxing them, giving this warm, kind feeling to the right arm. And moving our attention to the left shoulder and moving along the left shoulder, soothing the left shoulder, giving it a mental massage. Allowing it to relax, let go of any tension. Almost feel the left shoulder sagging Relaxing. I'm bringing to mind the left arm starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm all around it to include the elbow, wrist, hand and fingers. Warm, relaxing attention.
Now bringing to mind the back, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the back like a mental massage. Releasing any tension, any tightness, any pain, giving this warmth, giving this relaxation. Slowly moving our attention down the back. Now bringing to mind the front of the body, starting just below the shoulders and moving our attention slowly down the front of the body to include the chest, the diaphragm, the stomach and the abdomen areas, giving them this warmth, this relaxing kind attention. Soothing any tight or painful areas, any hard areas. And now bringing to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg, all around it to include the knee, the ankle, the foot and the toes. Soothing them, relaxing them with this warmth, with this kindness, this mental massage.
Now bringing to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention down the left leg all around it to include the knee, the ankle, the foot and the toes, soothing and relaxing them as we go. Now bringing to mind the whole body, just sitting here. Sense of relaxation, ease, comfortable. And now we can uh, visualize, bring to mind a Buddha statue that has a smile that brings up or evokes a feeling for us. Or we can remember someone's smile that really touched us. Or we can remember a photo of a smile that really touched us. Or we can even bring up a smile on our face and see if that brings up this inner smile, this feeling within.
and we can get in touch with that feeling, whether it be a feeling of warmth, relaxation, of ease in the mind, or joy, or contentment, a sense of steadiness. However, we experience that feeling of the inner smile. And now we can become aware of the breath going in and going out. And where we notice it most, like a reference point. We can bring this feeling of the inner smile to the breath coming in and going out with this warmth, this feeling of ease, however we experience the sense of an inner smile, inner contentment.
And if the mind wanders off, we can just remember whatever it was, whatever image it was, the Buddha, a Buddha statue, someone's smile, a photo, or a physical smile that brought up this feeling. Remember that and where we're most aware of the breath.
And now we're coming towards the end of the meditation, so we can spread this feeling, whatever feeling we developed of the inner smile, and spread that feeling as like a gift to all those that are here participating in the meditation, here in the hall, this hall, or those that are listening online and filling them, giving them this gift of the feeling of the inner smile. And we can now expand that feeling further of sharing or sharing this feeling of the inner smile with those living in the area where we are now. Whether they be animals, human beings, insects, unseen beings, sharing the warmth, the kindness, of this inner smile. And now expanding this feeling further in ever widening circles to include the whole of Australia, to include the whole of the world and all different realms of existence. Sharing this feeling of the inner smile, warmth, kindness, acceptance, ease. And now we can reflect on the meditation, how we feel now. Do we feel different from when we started the meditation? 
And did we feel this warmth, kindness, contentment of the inner smile? And what caused this feeling that we that one experienced to arise? What caused it? And we can make the aspiration or intention to develop more of this feeling of the inner smile with everything we do. To make it a habit, to make it a refuge in our life. can anchor this feeling of the inner smile in our hearts and in our minds. We can slowly come out of the meditation and open our eyes. So Hope you were able to get in touch with the this feeling of the inner smile and to arouse, well, for this feeling to arise, whatever feeling you experience to arise, as a support for the meditation and actually as a pleasant experience in itself. And maybe a good thing too is to remember to turn our phones off or turn them on to silent. <laughs> it's a part of our lives, isn't it? So if there are any questions, comments, complaints, ah, oh, that's very good. Great. There are some online questions. Oh, all right. Time. Thank you, Langman. Yes, that'd be good. We might start with those if other people yes, want to I think collect themselves for a few moments. It's always a good sign when people have no questions, I think. That's good. The first question is from Luke. Can Ajahn offer some advice <clears throat> on an effective way or ways to calm the body and mind quickly after a strong emotional experience? Right, a way to calm the body and mind after a strong emotional experience. 
usually, uh, you know, I, th I find and I think uh, very effective is to really to do something with the body, like walking is very, very calming. Something that brings us more into the moment, you know, and this is why a physical activity can be very, very useful um, in that case. Uh, and also, um, so that's a very good one because it, it grounds us and, um, you know, just connects us with the body and takes us more away from, um, you know, the mental uh, strong emotion that we've experienced. But the other thing that can be useful, of course, is to, you know, have this uh, loving kindness for ourselves. <laughs> We're the ones that are experiencing this reaction, you know, and I often call this the emotional first aid. You know, when we have loving kindness for ourselves. And quite often I use, you know, we use the, we have the image of a mother's love for her child, can be a father too, um, is, as an image for loving kindness. And one of the images I use is like, like a mother, you know, soothing the child, you know, um, patting the child, rubbing the child, stroking the child, just having that feeling of it. Uh, it can calm the emotions down, you know, and just give us that reassurance. We're using an association uh, with to bring up this loving kindness for ourselves. It is definitely not the time to start <laughs> trying to give loving kindness to the other person that we may be upset with. That it doesn't really work because uh, it's sort of plastering over our own reaction. We're the one that needs the attention. The other person may not. They may uh, be feeling uh, quite happy or, or untouched by, you know. Because sometimes some of the things that happen that disturb us can be accidental or not intended, not intended. Sometimes they can be intended. So uh, that's some ways that we can, you know, calm these um, strong emotions that we can experience when we have contacts, these sense contacts. Um, and uh, as I say, to ground the body is a good one. And this other one, loving kindness for ourselves, for ourselves. So thank you for that, Luke. It's something we all have to deal with from time to time, isn't it? Yeah. Hopefully not all the time. No more questions, yes. There are a couple, a few more questions online if we have time, Ajahn. Yes. It says it will be a quick answer. Mm. Um, Alyssa wanted to um, be reminded, months ago a dear monk passed. You spoke lovingly of him and shared a photo of him. His image was of peace, practice and happiness. If possible, please remind me of Bhante's name. I think that was friend Bunyana Deepa. Bunyana Deepa. And I gave a, a, a live stream talk, I think that was last year, in uh, September. He passed away in September last year. And he was a, a forest monk in Sri Lanka. I'm pretty sure that's the one. And he'd been living in the forest for over 40 years, in very, very simple conditions. And uh, he was really, um, you know, a monk that enjoyed being on his own and had developed... Uh, um, a, a deep understanding of the Buddha's teachings. It was, yeah, wonderful. So it's venerable. 
Yanadipa, I think you're talking about. Mm. I think so, Rajan. Just in case Alyssa wants to Elisa. find out more about him, could you spell his name? Yanadipa, yes. With the sort of English spelling of it is N-Y-A-N-A. That's Nyana, and that's knowledge. And Deepa is D-I-P-A, and that's like a lamp or an island. So the... Um, the, there was a biography that was called what was it called? It was called the something like the inner island or something like that. The island within, something like that. The biography of this monk Venmunyana Deepa, and it's available on the internet as a download, free download. It's got lots of pictures, so uh, well worth a, a read. Yeah, I haven't read it. <laughs> I've seen the, I've read the pictures. <laughs> So there we are, Lisa. Uh, Lisa. Thank Hello, you. Jack. Yes. Yes, that's that's right. That's he's uh, from um, Denmark. Denmark. Yeah, yeah. Not not far away. So yes, that's right. Yeah, so he was an amazing uh, practitioner. You know, someone that was a, a great inspiration. For, for people and you know I think people uh, people who have no intention of living in the forest just felt very inspired to see someone living like that you know and uh, and I think that's a, a wonderful thing when we see you know someone that is living a life very similar to the time of the Buddha actually very simple and uh, you know just dwelling in the forest and wonderful yes so I hope that helps, Elisa. And have a look at that book, at Yana Deeper. Yeah. Next question is from Cassandra in Sweden. Oh, right. Not in far from Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> in meditation, I often get thoughts of things I regret yes. or fears about hurting people or making them sad. And most people get sad, but I tell them I want to live a different life, no partner, kids and things like that maybe even aiming towards becoming a nun. Yeah. At least that's how I feel right now. Though I have very bad meditation because of this feeling. I'm hurting my loved ones when I express that. Any advice? Right. Yes. Well, yes, they probably do feel, you know, um, because of their attachment to you, they, they don't want to lose you. That's what they feel like. And this is a very common feeling that people have when they... Uh, someone ordains and uh, I know from <laughs> it's quite interesting from my experience in Sri Lanka I've seen it even in Sri Lanka it's a Buddhist country isn't it but uh, I remember being in one monastery and uh, the uh, there were some young men who were ordaining as summoners as novices and their families had come and people were telling me, oh, the, 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 uh, the family is so upset that they're losing their son, you know. They were crying and all this. I thought, wow, well, I, I don't know about this. And then they had the ceremony, and the ceremony was going along, and then this young woman fainted. When, it, when he was doing his, when he was uh, uh, reciting some of the Pali, uh, the Pali that they do for the ordination, she fainted. It was his girlfriend. That's what I thought, and it was true. <laughs> but it was really they had this great sense of loss, you know, that they were losing their dear one. But what happens is, of course, you know, that can be the experience at that time. 
But later, often, uh, not that much later, some years later, that really becomes a treasure for them that their son or their daughter has ordained. So there is pain. There is that uh, feeling of separation. There is that feeling that they were losing their, you know, someone that's very dear to them. But later, they really uh, appreciate the fact that especially if they've developed very good qualities, they've gone along the path further, that becomes a great treasure for the family. And of course, you think of um, Venerable uh, Ajahn Chah. I mean, I, I don't know if his family was very upset when he ordained, but he certainly became such a treasure, not only for his family, but for so many people throughout the world. And uh, so, yes, there is that sense of parting and, um, you know, they will feel, as it were, threatened because what's being threatened is their attachment to you, the fact that they hold you dear. And, you know, the Buddha, of course, he mentions what is, uh, what is dukkha, what is unsatisfactoriness, being parted from that, those and those things which are dear to us. So this is not surprising. Um, and so the best thing is not to um, perhaps dwell on it with the family, but just to practice and develop qualities that they can see in you and that make them uh, feel more confident, you know, uh, that what you're doing is a good thing. They're obviously not Buddhists, probably, I would think, in Sweden. But often the, um, the thing that really brings people around is actually seeing good qualities in that person from their practice, that spiritual practice, you know, that they become kinder, more gentle, more understanding, less reactive, um, all these good qualities. Uh, so th this is something, you know, uh, you can develop and that will give them more confidence. And then if you do become a monastic, uh, yes, there will be some, um, you know, uh, what do you say, trauma <laughs> at parting. Or, but later on, it can be a very uh, rewarding for the family and for yourself as well, because you have something you can give to them. And this is something, you know, the spiritual life is really like uh, a food for the heart. And so somebody that is practicing that, someone that is encouraging that in others, by example, is really a treasure. It's really something much needed in this world. So, and I think this is a gift that you can give if you become um, a Buddhist monastic, um, a spiritual practitioner in any tradition, really. Very, you know, one that goes deeply into it. I was going to say seriously, but... <laughs> That is quite, you want to have a sense of joy and lightness with it too, yeah. So I hope that uh, helps uh, a person in Sweden. It's difficult, I think, because people don't understand what you're doing to a large extent. So, uh, but they will understand if you start to develop very good qualities. And, um, you know, maybe to dwell on the, the fact that you're doing this not only for your own happiness, but for their happiness as well, for their benefit as well, your families and other people's as well. Because that really gives us a lot of um, uh, 
a boost in our practice when we realize it's not, well, for me it does, you know, not just for ourselves, it's for others as well. Because sometimes people say that, oh, it's so selfish, isn't it? <laughs> They're just looking after themselves, <laughs> concerned with themselves. But it isn't, because we de- when we develop these qualities, it's something that others experience too. And it can become, you know, sort of a model or an encouragement for other people. When we see good qualities in somebody, it allows us to um, see how we can develop it. You know, and so this is something that's quite is very valuable in the world, much needed, much needed in the world. So I hope uh, that in, encourages you um, in Sweden, and uh, see how it goes. And so, thank you. Are there any questions from the house? It's just, we have a, just a few more minutes before nine o'clock. Maybe just finish with a last question here. Then Ajahn. yes. Oh, if there's another one, yeah. Dear Arjun, during meditation, if there are loud noises <laughs> from neighbours, etc., yeah, I see this sense of ill will and irritation arise. How to deal with such states? Yes. No, that's uh, that's natural. I think that uh, we can see them as disturbances. That if we do, uh, if we do see them as disturbances, then they disturb us. They disturb the mind, and you can see that actually. That some of these sounds are just sounds, but our reaction to it can be far more disturbing than the original sound. So keeping that in mind, you know, that's the Ajahn Chah's advice, isn't it? that uh, um, the sound doesn't disturb us, we, we disturb the sound. But it's easy to say, and especially if it's um, uh, not it's further away, but if it's very close, very loud, and so on, uh, it's difficult. In some ways, it reminds me of, some, I think it was a nun who was in India, and she was in some place where there was this wedding party and it was incredibly noisy and she was so upset with it, she was beside herself with irritation about this terrible noise and then she thought, wow, they're really getting such joy and happiness out of celebrating this wonderful event and she turned it around by using that sort of uh, view of it, a different view of it. The actual fact, this was giving a lot of happiness and for a very significant event in their lives, you know, a marriage, uh, not only for the, the partners, but also for the family. And so she just turned it around, even though it was this terrible racket going on for a long, long time, and just thinking of the joy that it was giving them. But also, you know, when we have those sort of irritations in the mind, you know, then is a good time, too, to give ourselves loving-kindness, you know, and uh, to realise it, it will pass, it will pass. And um, so that, that can help us, actually. Uh, but wisdom is really very, very, very useful to use uh, when we have these uh, experiences, like the phone going off, you know, uh, that's just natural. It happens, you know, that uh, for all of us, it's good to put it on silent, that's good. But sometimes I get caught out. <laughs> and it's, uh, it kind of goes off at the times when you don't want it to go off. But at those times, you know, it's, you realize that if we become irritated with it, this is actually going to disturb the meditation more than the sound of just the phone ringing, 
you know, because we can have the commentary that goes with it, you know, oh, we should turn it off, or we should, oh, we should leave it outside, or whatever we think about that. So this is um, a way of dealing with it, but always having this kindness and, uh, and sometimes a sense of humour with it is quite, quite, quite good. You know, it's it's better to to think, to sort of, as it were, laugh inside when it happens. You know, think, than 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 get irritated by it because at least that's a sort of more positive um, experience. And it's like um, Ajahn Brahm would mention, you know, the when um, in Thailand when he was a young young monk, as he often says. Uh, he was he'd be traveling in a vehicle, you know, I think sort of like a utility, you know, with this uh, sort of a roof that wasn't too high, and there'd be bumpy roads at that time, and they'd hit their heads on the uh, on the roof and everything. And he said the Western monks would be really aggro about it, but they said the Thai monks would just laugh <laughs> every time they, they bounced against the roof. They'd just laugh, you know, and I think that's it's just you know it's a it's a way we can deal with things and we can create these habits and obviously that's like a almost like a cultural habit you know to laugh about difficult situations uh, rather than getting upset about them so these are some ways we can deal with uh, you know these unexpected unexpected disturbances they don't have to disturb us but we we uh, we can deal with them and let go of them. As I say, the echoes of the disturbance can go on for a long time if we don't. So it's, it's good. And this is learning to work with the mind. Sometimes people think these things are, you know, um, they shouldn't happen and all this sort of thing. But in actual fact, it's actually teaching us a lesson of how to work with, a, with something that's not uh, necessarily pleasant, not necessarily what we're focused on doing at this moment. So it can be a very useful thing, like a teaching for us, actually. So um, it can be helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And now it is n nine o'clock. So if for those who would like to, we can pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. We can do the, the uh, audio version, because there's no picture, and do the Arahang.